Hi guys, thanks for listening to Library Overload. This is Susie. And this is Tavia. And we're so glad you're joining us again today. Don't forget to check us out online. Our blog where you can find all the books we've talked about is going to be libraryoverload.home.blog. And then you can also find us on Instagram. It's Library Overload there. Today's episode, we're going to catch up with what we've been reading lately. Woohoo! Yes, um, basically what we read in the month of February. Before we start, I have an announcement. You have an announcement. I'm very excited about it. But after I say this announcement, you'll probably veto me from ever being able to talk about this book ever again. Okay. Cecilia Ahern. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's the author of P.S. I Love You. Right. She just announced that she's having a follow-up to P.S. I Love You. Oh, wow. Called Postscript. Oh. Legit screamed when I saw. <laughs> Did you fangirl? A little bit. <laughs> but no, I just saw it. They announced it maybe a week or so ago. So by the time this airs, it'll be late news. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm happy you're excited. It's so exciting. It's called Postscript, which mm-hmm. ties in with P.S. I love you, because P.S. means postscript. I got it. <laughs> I'm, I'm very clever. I kept up. <laughs> I'm so excited. She says it comes out in Great Britain in September, and so I don't okay. know if America is behind or not when it comes to European books being published. Um, I'm really not certain. We're published. not up to yeah. date on our literary yeah. publishing schedules. I, d- I do not know, but I will have my people contact her people and we'll we'll get it all figured out. I think I'm your people. Then you're going to contact her people. <laughs> I guess. All right. Get me that book. <laughs> I'll work on it. Thank you. Back in the realm of what we're actually talking about, guys. Ew. What we've been reading lately. So I'm I'm very excited about this. I've kind of been all over the place you have. since last we chatted about this. I started with Murder at the Vicarage by Agatha Christie. Oh, okay. Yes, and this is my second Agatha Christie. The first one I read was Murder on the Orient Express, and that was my first dive into Christie because I wasn't really sure if I was going to like her because, you know, she wrote in the 30s, and the language is very different, Mm -hmm. and especially the British 30s. Right. The language is very different, but she's just adorable. I loved it. It's like, it's the murder mystery, but it's so wholesome. Yeah, I mean, it's not innocent by any means, but it's wholesome. Uh, but in this one, Murder at the Vicarage, I don't know if our American audience knows, but a vicar is basically a preacher. <laughs> so the vicarage is kind of like a parsonage. All I can think of is Rachel's dirty book and Friends when Joey finds her book. He's like, the vicar won't be here all morning. <laughs> well, so all I wanted to say was, Joey, how did you learn that word? <laughs> That's, that's hysterical now. As soon as I'm not going to be able to unhear that from now on when I talk about this. As soon as you said vicar, I was like, ooh, Rachel. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. In a completely unrelated vicar scenario. <laughs> I'm sorry. There is a vicar in this tiny little 
a village in England back in the 30s. Okay. So this is the first Miss Marple book. And Miss Marple is one of Agatha Christie's main characters. So it's like she's got in Murder on the Orient Express, Hercule Poirot is the detective in that one. Okay. And so Miss Marple is one of her other ones. And I thought Miss Marple was like a young, hip detective. Nope. She's like a 70-something-year-old lady. Oh, it's like murder, murder she wrote. Basically, except before. Okay. Before, before Angela Lansbury made it a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Agatha That's Christie was awesome. doing it way back then. Miss Marple is this little old lady. She's in her like 70s-ish. She lives next door to the vicarage. Okay. So she's in the garden a lot. She knows everybody in town. She sees things. She hears things. And so basically she goes about solving the murder that happens. Colonel Prothero is a town official and like basically everybody that's ever met this man hates him. Mm. So pretty much the whole of everyone you meet in the book, even the vicar hates this man and has a motive to kill him. Mm. And so he dies. He ends up, he goes to meet with the vicar and he ends up being murdered in the vicar's study. Oh my. But nobody hears a gunshot. The vicar had been called out on business. So he wasn't there. And it's like, who killed Colonel Prothero in the study? With the pistol. <laughs> it was just, it was just, uh, it was just so much fun. And, and the, like, the list of suspects is extensive. There's the Colonel Prothero's wife, mm-hmm. his wife's lover. Oh, my. Yes. Um, his teenage daughter by his first wife. Okay. There's basically, like I said, anyone that's ever introduced in this book, with the exception of Miss Marple, has a murder or has a motive to kill this man because mm. <laughs> he's just the worst. But it's just a lot of fun, and it's, you know, trying to figure out who did it. And in the premise of this 70-year-old woman as the detective <laughs> that's helping the police figure this out, it's just, it's adorable. I loved it. That sounds cute. Four stars for me, two thumbs up. I attempted to read Murder on the Orient Express back before the movie came out, like the mm-hmm. newer movie came yeah. out. And I really struggled with it. It's difficult. The language is very difficult. I didn't give it a lot of time, though, Mm -hmm. because I was trying to meet my book reading deadline. (laughs) (laughs) I get that. And so I I don't even think I gave it a full chapter. Oh, Um, wow. So I do intend to go back and try to read her. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I have not yet. It is definitely in a different vernacular, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And that makes it a little hard to get into. But once you get past that first little bit, you realize the style she's writing with, and it flows a lot easier mm. and they're pretty small books so it, it makes yeah. it pretty quick to get through um, but I absolutely intend to follow up with Miss Marple and see what other kind of shenanigans she gets into well there and can't be too many shenanigans she's old well I mean she's not she's 70 she's still got several years ahead of her several weeks I mean people live to like 90s and 100 that's like 30 more years dude Jesus <laughs> you're <sighs> being ageist <laughs> <laughs> okay the f- First one I'll talk about is Meddling Kids by Edgar Quintero. I'm excited to hear about this. Yes. So this one is kind of like the grown-ups version of Scooby-Doo. Which I love. It's it's really cool. It's the same kids. It's uh, two guys, two girls, and a dog. And they had a detective's club when they were little. Well, they they solved their final case in 70s. This is set like in the late 80s, early 90s. Oh, okay. So, so they like when Scooby-Doo was yeah. kind of doing their thing. Yeah. So they solved their final case in 77 and went their separate ways afterwards. Because they were, they were 12 and 13 years old. They were heading off to, you know, school and all that and stuff. And so they kind of separated. Fast forward about a decade 
decade and a half, and they're all dealing with severe issues because of this last case. One of them is in a mental institution. One of them is living in her van. Okay. The genius is bartending. Okay. And one of them is dead. Wow. So eventually they all get together and decide that we're all dealing from PTSD from this final investigation that we had. And we don't think we caught the right person. Like they, after years of dreams, like really bad dreams, thinking they're seeing things out of the corner of their eye and all of that, they're, they're all kind of like, I think this was legit. I don't think this was someone in a mask. Oh, wow. And so it's really scary. It deals with the Necronomicon. Excuse me? You don't know what that is? No. It's it's like... That sounds like a made-up word. Oh, no, it's real. Actually, when I went to see Evil Dead the Musical, there was a whole song (laughs) (laughs) about the Necronomicon. Can we time out Evil Dead the Musical? Yes. Um, I went... A couple of years ago with some friends and went to this like tiny, like in a strip mall theater. <laughs> and when we got there, we're like, guys, this is going to be so bad. And we we're like, well, it's fine. It'll be a great story. So we went and it was fantastic. <laughs> they ran around and it was you wore white shirts and so they would spray you with blood whenever someone got killed (laughs) but it wasn't like they didn't even try to make it real like when someone was like in quotes dying someone just would run around with a spray bottle of red (laughs) red water and just go ah and spray the whole front row (laughs) all right but anyway immersive theater (laughs) it was fantastic but anyway every time i read the word necronomicon i only could think of evil dead the musical (laughs) because they had this whole song (laughs) anyways um what is the 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 necronomicon i i'm not gonna explain it right and so i might piss some people off but uh, it's something to do with spells and bringing people back to life, bringing demons into the world, something like that. Necromancy. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, I never put that together. (laughs) It's okay. Same things. Um, But yeah, so it turns out one of the kids, what they were investigating back in 77, one of the kids accidentally read out loud from the Necronomicon. And so this whole time for like 12 or 13 years, he's been like, I brought something into this world and he's been freaking out about it. And so now it's time for them to go back and really figure out what happened. Oh, wow. It's very interesting. But what I really thought was cool, too, other than the book itself, the author, Edgar Cantero, is actually from Barcelona. And this was his very first published in English book. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I thought it was great. It was actually written in a really cool way. Like it sometimes felt like you were reading a script mm-hmm. and it was, but it like really neat. Um, mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed it. I gave it three stars. Y'all know I'm very stingy with my stars. So three stars is just fine for me. It's not something I'll reread again. Also just because I don't love the thriller suspense genre, but I did think it was a lot of fun and it was really neat to kind of see the grown ups mm-hmm. of Scooby-Doo. Can we talk about the parental responsibilities and letting children investigate crimes and murders and, <laughs> and like, hey, my 15-year-old wants to go investigate this murder. That sounds like a great plan. It's fine. <laughs> no long-lasting implications can come from that whatsoever. Yeah, well, I know that 
in this book, they're not named after Fred, Velma, like Shaggy. They're mm-hmm. not. But I know in this one, some of them had really bad homes. And so they all kind of stayed with one girl at her aunt's summer home. Mm-hmm. And so it was basically like summer camp for them. I gotcha. And so they would just run amok in this. Amok, amok, amok. <laughs> Let's see how many like <laughs> pop culture references we can get in this episode. Right? <laughs> well, I can't hear that word without. Amok, amok, amok. I know. I, yeah. I'm going to start running around. <laughs> okay. If only you guys could see the hand motions. <laughs> Yeah, we really should do like a YouTube. Um, oh, that'd be fun. That would be fun. <laughs> okay, so Menly Kids, I really enjoyed it. If you haven't heard of it or haven't read it, check it out, especially if you're kind of the 90s kid that loves the nostalgia factor of it. I thought it was great. Or if you're a little bit older and you also like Scooby-Doo. None for you. <laughs> Okay. All right. I'm going to move on and I'm going to talk about The Girl You Left Behind by Jojo Moyes. Mm. She's the same author who wrote Me Before You. And this book did not destroy my soul in quite the same way. I was That was going to be my first question. But I definitely cried. It was, it was powerful for me. This was like a, it's a historical fiction, which I love. Um, and it's set in two different times, which I, I know I've, we've talked about how much I love that. Right. Um, little whatever it's called plot device narrative Mm. feature anyway in 1916 there's a girl sophie lefevre lefevre (laughs) i'm sorry my french is struggling here you don't you don't speak french i I mean i do speak french a little bit but in in my mind it's lefevre but i think in french they pronounce it lefevre so i don't i'm i'm literally going like brett Favre, and so i'm going (laughs) Favre. (laughs) okay (laughs) That's what we'll roll with. (laughs) Okay. I'm so hyper. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sophie, in 1916, Sophie runs a hotel with her sister in this small little French town that's occupied by Germans in the First World War. Um, Oh, okay. So it's World War I era. Right. In 1916. Sophie lived with her husband, who was an artist, in Paris, but he was sent off to the front to fight. And so she went to help her sister take care of, like, the family hotel Mm -hmm. in this little tiny town. And her husband had done a painting of her before he left, like, right when they were first meeting. And it's, like, this really captivating, beautiful portrait of her and she has it with her at the hotel well there's a german commandant which is like they're the high-ranking officer and he becomes enamored with sophie and with the painting which is very dangerous you know for like the the townspeople think that she's being a traitor Mm -hmm. if she but if she doesn't cooperate they'll kill her so the german commander kind of like becomes really enamored with her and in her painting. And it leads to a series of choices that she has to make for herself and the future of, you know, and her husband and very serious, dire consequences Mm. based on this choice. Okay. So fast forward into 2014 and basically in, in 2000 or in, I'm sorry, 1916, it gets right up to the point where Sophie's made 
this choice, but you don't see the ramifications of the choice yet. Okay. So then fast forward in 2014, Liv Halston, um, she owns the painting of Sophie, and it's called The Girl You Left Behind okay. because that's her husband left her behind to go mm-hmm. fight at the front. And she, it was a wedding present from her husband who has passed away not too long ago, okay. maybe in the three or four years ago. And then a chance encounter with a guy leads to a battle of ownership over the painting. Like, who does the painting belong to? Does it belong to Sophie's descendants? Or does it belong to Liv because she bought it from somebody who had been given it as a gift? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so there's kind of like a, a court case and a, restribu- a retribution case hmm. about who owns this painting. And in and Liv trying to prove her ownership of it because it's such an emotional painting for her, something that her husband had given her as a wedding present because he saw her in the painting. Mm. And she figures out what Sophie's choice was. <laughs> There's another reference That's for like you. That's, I think, number four. <laughs> and, and in a serious moment, too. <laughs> anyway, she figures out the choice that Sophie made and how it all worked out. Okay. So through Liv's digging to prove her ownership of the painting, you find out what happened to Sophie. Hmm. And it's just really, really, really cool. But it kind of ties into, like, the restitution. Like, you know, during the Second World War, when lots of Nazis looted artworks and stuff, mm-hmm. did the, the people who have it now, do they have to give it back to the original owners? And who really owns this thing? And right. it was just very, really interesting but also flipping back and forth between the current and the history. And I just, I love that. Interesting. Five stars for me. It was really beautiful and brilliant. All right. I'm going to talk about Tell Me More, Stories About the 12 Hardest Things I'm Learning to Say by Kelly Corrigan. I don't remember how I even found out about this book, but I'm really, really glad I did. So Kelly Gor- Corrigan is apparently an author that that writes a lot of nonfiction. She has several books before this one. Uh, she wrote this one to deal with her grief. It was right after her one of her closest friends and her father both passed away within 60 days of each other. Oh, wow. And this is just each section. It's, it's 12 of the hardest things you learn to say. So, like, for example, I don't know, no, tell me more. And I was wrong. So, yeah. So each section is titled no or I was wrong or something like that. And it was it was kind of cathartic to read it Mm -hmm. as someone that has dealt with grief. And it was it was fantastic. Like there's nothing that I can say like it was this and it did this. It was it was just I think it was cathartic for her to write it. And then it's cathartic to read it. Mm Because you read it at a good place where yeah. it, the message was significant. Yeah, for and I feel like it was like, oh, someone else deals with that, and oh, someone else goes feels the same way. It's I'm just not alone. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. I I read it, cried, shocking everyone. Aww. I like it was oh, it was so good. And now it really bugs me. Like, how did I even find out about this book? Mm-hmm. Like, because the local bookstore didn't have it. I had mm-hmm. to get it from the library, and so I don't know. I yeah. don't know where I found it. I mean, we follow lots of I know book things and library I know and my and my to 
to read list on Goodreads is approximately 2,000 books long. And sometimes I'll even go and be like, I don't even know what this is. And I'll read it and be like, I don't even know why I added it. <laughs> okay. So, so, but yeah, it was, it was very, very good. I look forward to reading more of hers. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was awesome. Now, does that fall into like the um, personal development category? I don't know. I guess maybe it deals, I don't, not self-help-ish, but. Yeah, not self-help, but definitely personal growth, maybe. Cool. Um, cause yeah, I would definitely, um, I work at a bookstore y'all. So I always think of like where I would shelve this and I would put it, we've got a section in personal growth called grieving, like death and grieving. And so I would, I would put it there and I, I think I would recommend it for anyone that's nice. dealt with grief in the past. I think it was fantastic. Well, that's really awesome. Sounds really, really good. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm moving on to The Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lainey Taylor. I'm so excited to hear about this one. Yes. Um, this is a fantasy. We're going into a completely other, going into a complete other world. And this has been on my radar for like, for a really long time. And I... Didn't we both buy the Kindle? Yeah, because I think it was on sale through like yeah. BookBub or something. Yeah, like that. it was like super cheap, and I was like, "We've got to buy it and read it." Yeah. And then years went by, right? And so I don't remember. I think um, because after I read uh, the Girl You Left Behind, I needed something light and to get me out of. But this ended up not being it. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, the little tagline for this book is an angel and a devil fell in love. Love it. And it did not end well. Oh, my. Yes. I love fantasy worlds. I love epic romances, star-crossed lovers. I love all of that. I love fallen angels, which is all of this. Um, Karu is the main character, and she's an artist who lives in Prague. And who am I is the question that bugs her all the time because she doesn't know who she was. She was raised by Chimera, which are kind of like half um, human blends, uh, but they're they're demons slash devils. They okay. do like evil, quote, evil work. Okay. So she was raised by this guy, Brimstone, and he sends her on errands. Like he collects teeth, like human teeth, to turn into wishes in this evil world that he lives in. Anyway, in one of her errands, she meets Akiva, who is a fall, or who is an angel. And it's like, fireworks like the they just look at each other and it's like I've known you my whole life Ah. yes and it's it's stars and and then finally through her meeting Akiva she figures out who she is okay so secrets unfold but the secrets run so deep and so long ago and they come from a really violent past Mm -hmm. and it's it's about her and Akiva being star-crossed lovers and falling in love and realizing who she is and who she is to him. And it's the first book in a trilogy. Okay. Um, and it's a finished trilogy. I'm um, very glad you, you were able to tell me that. Yes, it is a finished trilogy. Uh, but it's just like, it's epic. It's epic love. There's these beautiful love quotes about, like, just consuming love. Mm-hmm. And in a fantasy series, that's one of my favorite things. Same. It's like, we, we talked about Throne of Glass mm-hmm. and... A Quarter of Thorn and Roses all the times. I love getting lost. Infernal devices. Yes, infernal devices, in the mortal instruments. I love getting lost in these epic romances, mm-hmm. which is interesting because I'm not an overtly romantic person. Maybe that's how it comes out. Maybe, yeah. Um, but I just loved it. It was just, ugh, it was so beautiful. Mm. And I cried. <laughs> wow, two books that made you cry. I know, shocking. Wow. 
Wow. And I only have one book that made me cry. Wow. Although Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil made me cry in a different way. Because I was so frustrated. (laughs) Well, we're moving on from that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The last book, I I only read three books outside of books that we talked about already. And I blame two people. I blame Tavia because she made me read Garden, Midnight in the Garden. And I read a couple of chapters of that and then couldn't read anything because I was so frustrated. (laughs) My bad. And then I apologize to the reading community at large. Thank you. We all appreciate it. And then number two, I blame one of my coworkers because he just finished writing his book and asked me to read it and oh, look that's over awesome. it. And it was like a hundred and fifty thousand word. Oh wow! <laughs> but it was fantastic, and I'm so excited for him. And I can't wait for it to be published so I can talk about it and tell everybody to read yes, it. That's but exciting. so that took me a minute to get yeah. through too, and I can't even talk about it, which is like doesn't even count. But right. my last book that I'll talk about is a new one. It's called The Dreamers by Karen Thompson Walker. So this came out just a few weeks ago and it's set in South California. It it's in this college town and all of a sudden one day a girl falls asleep and doesn't wake up. She's just in this comatose state. Hmm. And at first it's just one, but then there's three of them and then there's 10 and then it's a citywide quarantine because so many people are just falling asleep and not waking up. There's an episode of Supernatural like that where all the kids start falling asleep. Oh, I don't remember that. It's It's been so long. It's early on. Mm. Well, that's another pop culture (laughs) reference for this. Keep track. This was a book that Ann Bogle from What Should I Read Next would call a slice of life book. It will just follow a person or a few people in this case for a set amount of time. And you don't really know what comes before and you don't really know what happens after. Boo. Yes. So for that reason, just because it's not my kind of thing, I gave it two stars. How I know. Um, However... I did enjoy the premise, but there were a few things that happened that really pissed me off. There are a few characters that I really didn't like. Like it followed maybe five or six different characters and it kind of took turns, but one of them might fall asleep. So then you'd have more of these and then another one would fall asleep. So it was... That's interesting. it It was interesting and it was written in a really different way, but it just, it wasn't my cup of tea, but the cover is so pretty and the premise sounded so cool that mm-hmm. I wanted to check it out but it wasn't it wasn't my fave and and do you think that's because of the ambiguity at the end probably like I really struggle with that and and it's got to the point where if I even if I know that that's how it ends I probably won't even touch it just because mm-hmm. it, it like I don't I don't want to have to guess at what happens right like, I want you to tell me what to think because I read to not have to right we so. read as an escapism kind of thing even right. if we're reading heavier stuff or real stuff we still read to escape right and we want whereas in real life we don't get that mm-hmm. closure we want that in our books especially me I I long for closure in my yeah. books and I will mark a book down mm-hmm. if it has an amb- ambiguous ending yeah which is to say some people love this book and awesome like I'm really glad that it it gets to some people but it for me it's it's not it's not mm-hmm. my thing I get that I definitely get that that kind of ties into my next book as, as far as the endings that's Eleanor and Park by mm. Rainbow Row- Rowell and I gave this one four stars and I gave it four stars because of the ending I would have given it five stars had I liked the ending just gotcha. a little bit better 
But basically, and this is the first Rainbow Rowell I have ever read, and you have talked about this author a lot, and mm-hmm. I think you told me some of her other books are better than this one. Yeah, this one's not my favorite by her. But I, I wanted to start here because I know so many people talk about it, and mm-hmm. I have been seeing it everywhere. No, it's kind of a big deal in the book community. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's two misfit 16-year-olds fall in love bonding over music and comics on the bus in the 1980s. On, in the, on the bus on the way to school and back from school. And there's the little quote thing that I liked. It said, smart enough to know that first love almost never lasts, but brave enough and desperate enough to try. Hmm. And I loved that. I thought it was precious. Basically, you have this, like, this good kid, kind of straight-laced, and then you have Eleanor comes in, and she comes from a really, really rough home life. She has an abusive stepfather, and a mom who is basically too far gone mm-hmm. to be able to save Eleanor. Like, Eleanor, at one point, she is talking to Park about why her mom doesn't do anything. And, and she says, I think there's not enough of her left. Mm-hmm. I think she's been abused too much and pushed too far that there's not enough of her left to save me. Um, which is interesting because she also has lots of little siblings. I think, like, four little siblings. And so she goes to Park's house as a way to escape what's happening at her house. Because basically she has to be invisible mm-hmm. in her own home. And make no noise and, and take a bath in private. And, and like, um, he took the, the stepdad took the bathroom door down because he didn't want anyone to have privacy. Right. So she like sneaks to take a bath. And it's so she kind of goes to Park's house as a way to escape. And her sister, a little sister and brother, are like, take us with you. And she's like, I can't even save myself. I can't save you because I can't save myself. Right. And it's really emotional in that way. And I thought that. I've never had to deal with anything like this, but I imagine that that's how it would be if you went through something like that. Right. I feel like it was told very well and very beautifully, but the ending, and and I get that we're in high school, that we're 16 year olds and you really don't know what's out there. You don't know what's coming, but I I wanted, I was certain in high school that I was going to marry my high school boyfriend. (laughs) I was so serious. That's funny. I was not because I had lots of little, um, love interests in high school like I wasn't serious about anything except probably sports at the time oh my gosh in all of school I was always in a relationship like there was a three-year one and then a one or two-year one and then another one year like yeah, that's was- all your years you've used them all up I know like my <laughs> entire like starting seventh grade until 12th grade like I was oh, always wow. with somebody I was- kind of pitiful now I was a serial dater mm-hmm. I was like a biggest flirt kind of thing <laughs> Um, I think that's, I was voted biggest flirt in high school. Um, in the, I, I was most school spirit. <laughs> I can see that for <laughs> me. But yeah, I get that, that the ending is like that because that's real life. But for me, again, going back to the ambiguity thing, mm-hmm. I just wanted a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I want happy ever afters. Mm-hmm. Always. I'm always going to want that. And so <laughs> I wrote that ending though. Ah. And I think that's a Rainbow uh, Roel thing. Um, I've read maybe three other books by her. And all of them, I don't, I know, one of them has kind of like, it's tied up in a nice little bow and it's great. And then the other two, all young adult like that, they all kind of just end. And, and in some cases, it's totally fine because you can just believe like it's ended and they're happy in the end and it's mm-hmm. great. But sometimes you just want to, you want that little extra step. Mm -hmm. Like you want just a little more. Right. I mean, there was some stuff at the end of this one that led you to believe, like you could choose 
the way that it was going to, you could kind of see it, Mm -hmm. but she didn't explicitly say it. Right. And that's why, because in my head I made up where I wanted it to end. Right. And so I didn't mark it down as much as like in the woods, which, yeah, I just, I wanted it. I don't know. I want everyone to fall in love and get married and live happily ever after and have 2.5 kids and a white picket fence. Vomit on the kids. (laughs) Um, Okay. So. The last book that I read, and it's really kind of surprising for me to read a little bit more than, than you. Don't worry about it. Next month, I'll get you. Right. She reads just so much faster than I do. But I, I went through a, a kick this month, and I I guess got some fire under my tail. I also accidentally fell into the world of fan fiction again, and it's hard to climb out of that. Is Was it an accident, though, or did you do it on purpose? I will neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> Alrighty then. I have actually never, not one time in my life, read any fan fiction. Oh, girl. I fell in hard several years ago, and I've not looked back. And so sometimes oh, I'll... Oh, that's a lie. I'm sorry. I have read E.L. James. <laughs> um, Technically, <laughs> I read the first one and a half books of the Fifty Shades series, and then I was like, bleh. Let's move on. I guess I I will give that to you (laughs) because it was written as horribly as some fan fictions are. But I mean, it started out as fan fiction. For Twilight, which is so weird. And I'm not book shaming. If you want to read that, that's your thing. I love it. Anybody that wants to read anything, totally do it. But for me, I... I just couldn't get into it. I just feel like there's way better smut. There's better smut out there in the world. That's written much better than Fifty Shades. Yes. Okay, so the last book I'm going to talk about, some books you read and and you enjoy them and you move on. And some books change your life and change how you see the world. And this book has literally changed me. It it really Mm. has. I have been, I'm in love. Um, And that's I Am Malala. It's the story of the girl who stood up for education and was shot by the Taliban. And that's by Malala Yousafzai with Christina Lamb. Because Malala, I think she was about 16 when they wrote this book. Um, and Christina Lamb is an, uh, is a journalist um, who's been covering Pakistan and Afghanistan for a long time. And she collaborated with her to write this book. But seriously, this book touched me. Hmm. Um, seriously touched me because no you've been talking about it for days like I know I I don't think I'll ever get over it um I love books like yes I want everyone to read it and I was vaguely aware of Malala before and I had put this on my list because I I kind of heard but I didn't know the story I didn't know how things went down I mean I was in high school when when 9-11 happened so I mean I'm aware of the world but not in so far as that you know, because it didn't affect me. So I was right. able to put it away. Um, basically, she lives in an area called the Swat, or she lived in an area called the Swat Valley, which is at the top of Pakistan on the border between Afghanistan and Pakistan. And basically, it's where the Taliban came from Afghanistan into Pakistan and first started taking over into Pakistan. So when she was, uh, I, I guess really it starts with her dad, who was such a beautiful spirit. In a world where women are not valued at all, he valued her. So like, it tells about the story of her birth and they're like, oh, people were really bummed out that you didn't have a boy. And he's like really excited about it. Mm-hmm. And one of his cousins brought over the family tree and it had been traced back 300 years, but only through the men. 
And her dad was like, no, this is not going to work. And so he drew a, a line on this document that had been traced for 300 years and wrote his daughter's name on it. And so that's, I guess, where she gets her courage and her power. And he was a political activist. He spoke out and she kind of absorbed that. Mm -hmm. And he started his own school. He believed in education so much. He started his own school. He became a teacher. And she kind of took took up from that. But then in the 2007, 8, 9-ish, by 2009, the Taliban had moved in and they had taken over so much. They decreed girls could no longer go to school. Mm. They had taken Islam and kind of twisted it to their opinion and they said girls can't go to school anymore and so the school had to be shut down and the government was like you know back and forth are we really gonna do anything mm -hmm. are we in bed with the criminals or whatever and so she's sneaking to go to school at one point and on the way home from school she is shot in the head by the taliban and lives hmm. and it's just it's just beautiful it tells so much of the details of the minds of the people of what was happening at the time and how this happened. And you can kind of see the political climate there, even though it's it's a different situation. You can see that over here. And there was um, a poem that her dad holds on to that is, it, like it gave me chill bumps when I read it. And I'm going to read just a little bit of it. But it's it was written by a guy who lived in Nazi Germany during the Second World War. He said, first they came for the communists. And I didn't speak out because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the socialists. And I didn't speak out because I wasn't a socialist. And then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak out. Mm. And it was like, it was so powerful. Like, if you believe in something that much, you've got to speak out for it. You have No one else is going to. If you don't speak, you're as guilty as the people doing the bad things if you don't stand up and say something different. I and that's why agree. I loved this book so much. Like, it just was beautiful what is really beautiful about him is he stood up for the women when that did absolutely nothing for him right and it could only hurt him but right. he did it anyway right and he was targeted at first he was targeted by the taliban before malala even started doing anything and he didn't push her to be an activist or anything she stood up and she said i want to do this this is important to me you don't realize how important your education is until someone tries to take it away from you. Mm -hmm. And she said that on a numer uh, on a number of occasions. And it's just, it's true. Like you take so many things for granted because they're just given to you. Mm -hmm. But she's had to fight for it. And then because I loved this book so much, I dove into her world. And there's a documentary on Netflix that was actually nominated for an Oscar mm -hmm. that I watched. And there's um David Letterman has a show, My Next Guest, and it's on Netflix, and she's on there. She, she's 21 now, and she's at Oxford, and she can't go home. And she's like, I just want to put my feet down on my home soil one more time, but if I go back there, they're going to kill me. Mm -hmm. It's just, I don't know, it's brilliant. But I joined her Malala Fund. She has an organization. She travels the world fighting for women's education. There's 130 million girls in the world that can't go to school. Mm. And um, so she's traveled to Syria or to, to Jordan to build schools for Syrian refugees. She's traveled to Kenya to, f to fight for education for women. And she's just she's she's just an amazing, amazing person. That sounds amazing. It gave me chill bumps. Yeah, I loved it. And I loved that's where I've ended right now. Like that's I, a like, how do you follow that book? Right. I don't know <laughs> where I'm going to go from here just because it was so powerful for me. Mm. 
That sounds amazing. Now I'm going to have to read it. Yes, you should. I want everyone to read it. I think it should be required reading. Required reading. (laughs) But I mean, in high school. No, like I mean, like the required reading now is horrible. Like you need to update it. Right, because it's so much. This is so much more relevant mm-hmm. than some of the stuff that than I great was expectations. Re- right, Charles Dickens. I I like you. I'm not. You're not as relevant as Malala is right now. Right. No, I get it. She's she's the most extraordinary person. She's won a Nobel Peace Prize, mm-hmm. and she's she's like it. It doesn't matter that I got shot in the face. It, it doesn't matter that I can't use the right side of my face. I'm still going to talk. I'm still going to use my voice. Because if I don't, no one else is going to. And I just, she's wonderful. Mm, sounds awesome. Yeah. What a way to end. I know. But that's all that we have been doing lately. That's kind of where we, we are. Yeah. And then next week is our buddy read. So we'll go ahead and warn you. We're going to be reading Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Yes. And this is Susie's pick. So you guys can all ease off my back about ooh, it. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I'm very, very excited. It took me a long time to kind of figure out what I wanted to read. But I'm I'm very pleased with this pick. So can't wait to talk about it and hear about what you guys think. Yes. And we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.